So to today, we are wrapping up our, our summer study. Uh, if you are guests with us, we, we've been in the book of Luke. Um, we've been in the book of Luke because uh, Luke is incredibly unique, and, and he covers a lot of things that the other gospel writers, the other writers about Jesus' life just uh, don't cover, and that's nothing to be concerned over. It's just a different perspective of Jesus' life and ministry, and uh, just like you may highlight a certain aspect of, of your story or a story that you and your spouse have together, your spouse may highlight something different. It doesn't mean either's wrong. It means combined, you can tell full story. And, and so Luke offers just a lot of perspectives that the other gospel writers don't offer. And that's going to be the, the, the truth today as we continue uh, going through his, his book about Christ. Uh, and what we're going to talk about today is a specific moment in, uh, dealing with the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus. Luke has this very unique moment that we'll read about here shortly. But before we, we get to Luke's words, I, I want to say a few things about the resurrection of Jesus. And first and foremost, the resurrection of Jesus Christ it is the absolute validation of our faith. Um, it is the valid. You remove that, you remove everything. The resurrection of Jesus is the validation of our faith because it's also the validation of everything Jesus said he was. Uh, if you go through and read script, the scriptures about Jesus, uh, you'll see he made a lot of bold claims about himself. And, 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 and he said a lot of things that would just be really hard for us to wrap our minds around. But, but when you look at everything he said about himself... It, if he remained dead, if he stayed in, in the tomb, then you can't believe any of it. it. It's all a lie. But also, if Jesus was raised from the dead, and by faith I believe he was, then if a man can conquer death, and you look at all these bold claims, well, that means you've got to believe everything he said about himself. And if a man can conquer death and back up all these bold claims he said about himself, then you also should probably trust him with what he says about how you should live your life. I don't know about you, but if someone can conquer death then I'm going to allow them to have influence on my life. So if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, you and I were just wasting our time here. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then this is just some goofy routine coping mechanism of life that we're all just willing participants in. But if he was raised from the dead, then that has to change everything. Not just for the afterlife, but this life as well. Now, oddly enough, there's a lot of people who consider themselves followers of, uh, of Jesus. They're fans of his. They're, they call themselves Christians, but they, they don't buy into the idea that he was actually resurrected. There's a lot of us sitting here right now who uh, we believe in Jesus. We, we come to church. We watch online. We do our Bible studies. And, and we're all for what Jesus did up until the point of, of him conquering death. And we get to that point, we're a little hesitant. We, we don't know if we can buy into that. And, that, and that's always been the case. And that'll always be the case as long as we live in a culture that struggles to understand that, that Jesus really did conquer death. And I understand that. It, the idea of Jesus conquering death is a really hard thing for us to wrap our minds around. But I'm glad it's hard to wrap our minds around. I don't want a, a faith that my simple, small mind can completely grasp. I don't want to participate in an eternity that I can figure out right now. There's this faith aspect, and, and I want a faith that is bigger than me. I want a faith that is grander than my comprehension. And that's what the resurrection of Jesus is. The, the Apostle Paul, just a great church leader whose words make up a large part of our Bible, uh, he actually, we can see it in Scripture, um, it's under the books listed as, as Corinthians, if you're at your table of contents, uh, at the front of your Bible, um, he actually communicated with this church that really believed in Jesus, that they loved his life. They met praising his name, 
but they struggled to really believe in the resurrection. Uh, the, the church was in Corinth, which is located in Greece, and, and they had a lot of cultural pressure surrounding the resurrection. The, the ancient Greeks didn't believe that the resurrection of the body was possible. Um, you, can, you can see how much the culture rejected that idea in the book of Acts, A-C-T-S, the book of Acts. The book of Acts covers um, the, the start of the church. And in the book of Acts, Paul is in Greece, and he's talking about the resurrection of Jesus, and the crowd responds by mocking him. That culture said it's not possible. And as it often does, the, the, the cultural pressure, it bled into the church, and this church in Corinth, they're all for Jesus, but they doubted his resurrection. And so the apostle Paul writes some very, very powerful words to them that meets them where they are in doubting the resurrection. And I think it's going to meet some of us where we are in doubting the resurrection. It's going to take the resurrection, which seems like this historical, maybe lofty event, and and it helps us understand that when we doubt that, there's all these dominoes that start to fall in our lives. Here's what he writes. For if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, here's where these dominoes start falling, then all of our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, and here's another domino, then your faith is useless, and you are guilty of your sins. And... In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, Paul says, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. And and, and why that's so powerful is Paul draws this connection to what the resurrection of Christ means, not just for the afterlife, but, but for this life right here. He basically says, if Christ didn't conquer death, then this is all, everything we're doing here is just smoke and mirrors. We're bound for dirt and nothing else. But if Christ did have life after death, then then by faith, we know we will as well. If Christ did conquer the grave, then by faith, what we know that happens to us is, is after our last breath, we're in a place we'll never want to come back from. By faith, what the empty grave means is that why people are standing at our deathbed, missing us. They have no idea that the joy that we are experiencing is so much so that we would never come back even if we could. And I get it. Those first followers of Jesus, the ones who who walked with him in the flesh, I know their days were just undoubtedly dark once Jesus had died. They, they, They watched their hero die like a criminal. And as each passing day went by, one, two, and then certainly by three, any hope for a miracle had undoubtedly waned. So Luke chapter 24, it begins this way and tells us, but very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. And I want to stop there because it's very easy to gloss over this as we are on our way to reading about the resurrection. It's very easy to not understand how much just importance is in this one verse, how much it's telling us about the perspective of the people who lost Jesus. It tells us everything we need to know about how hopeless they were about Jesus. They took the spices to the tomb very early in the morning is what Luke says. And, and there's no pleasant way to say this. I, I, I tried seven paragraphs or so. There's no other way to say it other than 
Um, the reason why spices are important in this culture is because um, when, when a body, when someone has died and then their body starts decomposing, um, they'd use the spices uh, outside the tomb to, to cover up the scent. It was kind of a way to show still respect to the dead. Um, other cultures in that day and age, they practiced embalming. You could have gone just, just southwest into Egypt and you find that they were you know, embalming people. But the Jews didn't like to handle dead bodies. It was a law. It made them unclean. Um, and so what they did is, is they brought funeral spices for, for, for three days to help minimize the unpleasant odors coming from the body. And what does that tell us? That the, that the, woman very, the women very early on on a Sunday morning, they, they, they went to the tomb and said spices. Well, when we read that, we have to stop and understand that you don't bring spices to a tomb if you think someone is coming back to life. So this verse, it tells us everything. We know that the people even closest to Jesus, some of these women who, this is in scripture, actually funded his ministry, the ones who heard him say all of these things about conquering death, they just didn't get it. They took the spices because they thought he was dead. They thought death was final. And I want to say something about doubt before we move on. It seems like anytime in a Bible study or in a church or a small group, when someone has doubt, it's almost like it's this gross sin that we, what do you mean you're, you're doubting? You can't doubt. The Bible doesn't say that. I think that there is a doubt that is dismissive where we don't want to believe. But I want you to, if you've ever, gone, you know, ever judged someone for doubting, go through scripture because every time someone doubted, they didn't want to, but when they doubted, but they were, they were faithful in trying to search that out, God honors that. He shows up. He doesn't shun people. And these women, they show up because they're doubting. They don't believe it, but look what they get to be a part of. It says they had found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes. Uh, the war, women were terrified and they bowed out of respect with their faces to the ground. And then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He has risen from the dead. Uh, remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the son of man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and that he would rise again on the third day. I, I, and it's so true. You can go through scripture. Jesus told everyone his itinerary, but then everyone was, I don't know, I guess he's dead. And he said time and time again, just count to three back. Everybody forgot. Um, then they remembered that he had said this. They're like, oh my goodness, you're right, angel. Um, so they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. But since women are never wrong, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. A stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again. <laughs> Once again, they just don't get it. He's like, I don't know what happened. He was here Three days, he's just gone. This is crazy, right? So this is the resurrection story. This feels very much right now like, like Easter in August. But all that needs to bring us up to, to what we're going to cover. Remember that very unique section in, in Scripture, just unique to Luke, that we're going to talk about today. Uh, it's, it's, it's called the walk to Emmaus. The walk to Emmaus. Um, Maybe you've never thought about this scripture much, but, but uh, I like um, one thing that, that I really enjoy is when the scripture comes to life and you can look at a map and understand these, this isn't some fantasy thing. This is a historical account that happened in very real places. And still today, if you want to go, go over to Jerusalem, you can find there's a very real dirt road 
that goes from Jerusalem to Emmaus. It's seven miles long. Uh, if you look at a modern map, you're, you're not going to see it jump out at you because it has a different name. It's called El Kabaiba. Um, and and here's, you're going to be very thankful for this. I did something for you guys this week. Um, I found out that you can actually go over, if you're in Jerusalem, if you say, I need to stretch the legs out, um, for $56.42, uh, you can walk the road to Emmaus yourself. Um, so there you go, paid exercise. And so regarding uh, the walk to Emmaus, here's what Luke says. He says, the same day, so seamlessly, right from the resurrection to here, so the same day of the resurrection, what we just read a few moments ago, uh, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. Now, as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. Uh, but God kept them from recognizing him. And God kept them from recognizing Jesus. Um, I don't know what you're imagining. It's not Jesus with fuzzy nose and black rim glasses. They'll, they'll, they'll never guess. Um, this isn't, you know, undercover cross or anything weird. Um, there's, there's a point here to, to, to what's happening. If you, you read the original language, what, it, what it's getting across to us is that um, God has actually blinded the men from being able to recognize the risen Jesus because there is a, a purpose for it, a purpose very specifically in the original language that they are gonna benefit from, but they have no idea what's going on. They just, just think this man showed up as asking questions. And so he asked them, you know, disguised Jesus, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? And they stopped short, the sadness written across their faces. And then one of them, Cleopas, Cleopas replied, you must be, saying this to Jesus. You must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days. What things, Jesus asked. Uh, the, the th if you want to imagine Jesus with fuzzy nose and his glasses, this is a good moment too. Um, what, what things? Um, the things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did power, powerful miracles and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders, they handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from, from our group of followers were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. And because women are always right, some of our men ran out to see, and, and sure enough, his body was gone just as the women had said. So these two men on the walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus, they're, just, they're overwhelmed with, with hopelessness. They had put their faith in Jesus, and their faith in Jesus had given them quickly uh, this newfound purpose in life. And seemingly just as quick as they had something to hold on to, they had a new uh, identity, they had a, a new life, just as fast as they had that. It was taken from them. We don't know when they started following Jesus, but his whole ministry was just three years, likely 30 to 33 years old, and then he died. And, and to make matters worse, their religious leaders, the, the very group who would be preaching that we're waiting on our Savior, waiting on our Messiah, Jesus came and said, I'm in. And they said, I don't think, I don't think you are. And they, they crucified him. They nailed him to a cross and killed him. Now, sure, these men openly admit that they heard stories about Jesus being raised from the dead that seems that they were there when, when it happened. But they openly admit that they just don't believe it. And they're, they're admitting this to Jesus. They, they acknowledge the tomb is empty. But they think something else must, must have happened. They, they don't doubt the body's missing, but they're thinking Jesus probably wasn't raised from the dead. 
And you know that they, they don't believe that Jesus could, could conquer death because they're walking on the road to Emmaus. If you think your Savior that you've hitched your wagon to conquered death, you're not walking on the road to Emmaus. You're sprinting on the road back to Jerusalem. So they didn't believe anything. They're filled with doubt. They're hopeless. And a lot of us understand that. When we say things like doubt and discouragement and, and hopelessness, those words for a lot of us, it takes on meaning. It brings up memories and experiences, scars, pain. And when I thought about their scenario this week, I was sitting on the couch and I was thinking about it. And I got up into the kitchen, I came back and I, and I looked at my wife and I said, so I'm preaching on the, these two men and walking on the road to Emmaus and they're sad, they're dejected, they're discouraged. And, and I looked at her and I said, I don't feel bad for them. I just, I don't. And that probably sounds harsh, and some of you are maybe a little critical, and some of you are. Um, and, and, uh, and you may be thinking, well, yeah, you, you probably don't feel bad for them because you know how the story ends. We all know how the story ends, but, but that's not why I don't feel bad for them. In the big scheme of things, when I think about these two men who had maybe hitched their wagon to Jesus for at most three years, and they've now spent two, almost you know, three days being disappointed, the, the reason that I don't feel bad for them and what they're experiencing is because over the past eight years, I've gotten to know a lot of you, and I know what you're experiencing. And it's harder than what they went through. And so I just don't feel bad for them. Sure, they, they were hopeless. The past few days had not been what they thought it would be. In their minds, Jesus wasn't who he said he was. And, and now they've got to, to, to reconfigure their life. They've got to figure out how things are going to be different. But a, a lot of you are dealing with things that are much harder than losing someone for three days. A lot of you are dealing with the, the loss of a loved one that that you clung to in life far longer than these men were, were hanging on to Jesus. Some of you, 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 you sit with, with, with emptiness, trying to recall memories you had with that person you, you, you loved so much. And, and the most fearful thing is that some of those memories aren't as vivid as they used to be and starting to fade and, and you miss them. What some of you are dealing with is harder than what those disciples dealt with. And it's okay to, to admit that. We've lost moms and dads. We've lost sons and daughters. We've lost people we've looked up to. We've lost people who have just, their impact on our life has been unmatchable and they're just no longer with us. I don't feel bad for those disciples in that moment because what you are experiencing, some of what you've experienced is harder than what they've gone through. Some of us are dealing with marriages and relationships that have been lifeless for far too long and it just seems like there's no hope of it turning around. Some of us are, are in marriages, if you can even call it that, that just, it just seems so hopeless and we, we've settled for apathy and, and what was once love is now nothing more than like brothers in a hotel bed hoping you don't touch each other. It's, your marriage has, has become just a roommate that you share a last name with and and you've dealt with that for years. And I think that's harder than what the disciples experienced. 
Some of you live with shame and guilt because of the things you've done. And other people may not know it, but you see someone different in the mirror than what they see when they look at you, and you hate that. And you wonder things like, is there grace for you? You wonder if you could let yourself off the hook like you let other people off the hook. And you just live with this, this baggage that you don't have to, but it feels like you do. And I, Years or a lifetime of that is harder than what these disciples have experienced. I know that. Some of you, it's not about what you've done. It's what's been done to you. And you live with anger. You, you live with frustration. You want to balance the scales, but you don't know how. Some of you don't even want to let people know what has happened to you. That's harder than what these disciples have experienced. Others of you battle addictions and, and insecurity and, and fear, and you, we mask all that by just wrecking our lives. We head a direction we don't want to go, maybe even a direction people don't know about, and, and we're scared of what we're becoming. And I think that is harder to live with than what the disciples are experiencing. And, and I could go on and on and identify exactly what a lot of us in this room are talking about. And, and some of you, when I mention these things, I look your direction because you know I know what you've been through. You know I know what you've experienced, and it's harder than the, the walk to Emmaus. Others of you, I'm just talking and look at you and you're like, does he know? Did you tell, did you email Josh? And maybe, <laughs> maybe. A lot of us are just going through the motions as if our story has been written and that life will, will be forever lived in discouragement with this, this mountain that we've placed or someone's placed in our way that just seems inscalable and, and unmovable. Now, don't get me wrong, beyond a shadow of a doubt, I, I know that these disciples, they felt lost, defeated, discouraged, and, and hopeless with the loss of Jesus. They didn't yet know how Jesus' story ended, but many of us are experiencing defeat, discouragement, and hopelessness. And here's the thing, we are experiencing that, and, and we know that Jesus conquered death. They're discouraged because they don't know. A lot of us are living with defeat, and we do know. I read a quote this week that I really liked. It said, there are no hopeless situations. There are only people who have grown hopeless about them. There are no hopeless situations. There are only people who have grown hopeless about them. And almost every one of us, we have a situation, whether we want to recall it or not, we have a scenario, we, we have a scar. There's something we feel hopeless about. And if Jesus conquered the grave, we don't have to feel hopeless anymore. The things that we have experienced are undoubtedly paralyzing. No doubt about that. But if we really know Jesus and his power, we are never without hope despite our hardships. So back to Luke, uh, these disciples of Jesus, they, they are distraught, they're discouraged, they're, they're hopeless. And, and how the, the risen Christ responds to them as they're just in this, this, this mess I, it teaches us such an important lesson about how, how we can't neglect the power of the risen Christ in the midst of our mess. And so first, Jesus said to them, you foolish people, right? Now, some of you are like, gosh, Josh is hard on these disciples. Well, who do you think I learned it from? It's Jesus himself. <laughs> now, listen, you, you shouldn't call people fools. Let's get that on record. Um, some of you, your, your, your urge is to kick people when you're down. You're like, Jesus did it. So, um, 
Jesus has the authority to confront his hopelessness because he's Jesus. He, if you conquer death, you call someone a fool. That's fine. But Jesus has the authority to do it. And here's why he's telling them they're foolish. He says, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? And I want to stop there. Please leave that, that on the screen. Something we have lost, it's gone in culture. I'm afraid that the church will one day lose it is lovingly confronting people where they are wrong and then using scripture to guide them where they are right. We, the culture has lost the ability to even call anything wrong. Father, help them because they don't know what they're doing and they don't want to know. That's kind of where culture is gone. But as believers, it's so important that we willingly confront people where they are wrong and guide them towards scripture. Don't confront people where you think they're wrong and think your opinion is the standard by which you get to measure everyone. That's called hypocrisy. We need to take an example from Jesus here. He calls people out. But look what he does next, how well he loves them towards the right direction. Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. That's such a loving thing to do. Love is not neglecting confronting people when they need confronting. That's not, you don't love someone if you're letting them go down the wrong path. But love is walking with them and explaining the scriptures to them. So starting with Moses, which is the beginning of our Bibles for, for the sake of discussion. And, and through all the scriptures, Jesus moves through and he's showing these, these hopeless men key passages. And he's showing them, don't you see, all scripture is pointing toward Jesus was going to come. He was going to serve. He was going to love. He's going to lead. He's going to teach. He's going to die. But then he would rise again. He's saying, don't you get it? That Obviously, the, Old Test the New Testament wasn't written yet. They're participating in it. Um, but, 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 but still, Jesus is showing them and us that all this despair, all this discouragement, there is biblical truth to help you through it. And it all points to the power of the resurrection. It all points there. And at times, life will feel like it's leaving you and I lifeless. But Jesus tells them what you read in Scripture it's going to bring you to the only hope that we have for this life and the afterlife, and it's the empty tomb. And I love that he meets people in their discouragement and says there's scriptures about this and the resurrection. It changes this life right here, right now. It's not just a get out of hell free card. And I just want to share three chunks of scripture which show how much the resurrection, the power that's there, can help us through what we are experiencing here. Romans chapter 8. Uh, and just write the headings if you're, 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 you're taking notes because we're going to fly through these. Uh, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? And, and he's writing to a church, Paul is, that they're literally losing their life because they're faith. They're being persecuted. So he says, does it mean that God no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed. Nothing in all creation. So nothing we're experiencing in this life 
will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's another one. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again. Why? Why do we get this great mercy? Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And because Jesus was raised from the dead, now we live with great expectation. We have a priceless inheritance. An inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed in the last day for all to see. And so he tells this church that's just going through junk. He says, so be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it'll bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. Here's one more that you need to put on your fridge today. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And this is this first verse. This is how we feel about life. It's okay to admit it. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus, so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. We have all the hope we need in scripture for what we have experienced or experiencing because it all points to Jesus. Everything points to the power of his resurrection, not just for the afterlife, but we need to understand that the power of the resurrection, it changes everything and gives you hope for what you're experiencing in this life as well. We live in a broken, messy world that's not gonna get fixed or cleaned up anytime soon. There's just too many messy people just like us. We face pain in our life that appears to have no answers. But all scripture is pointing to this life-giving, lifeline, resuscitating truth in scripture. Let's finish in Luke. By this time, remember Jesus is walking them through the scriptures because he loves them enough to confront them, but he loves them enough to guide them. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus in the end of their journey. And Jesus acted as if he were going on, but they begged him, Stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them and it's just a a slumber party with Jesus and they don't even know it. So as they sat down to eat, Jesus took the bread and blessed it. And then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. At that moment, he disappeared. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained scripture to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. And remember, it's dark, it's dangerous. They they don't care. Jesus is risen. What's there to fear? There they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them who said, the Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. I think that's something we got to tell ourselves every day. In the face of all the junk we're carrying, in the face of, of, of hopeless situations, every time we feel defeat, we need to whisper to ourselves, the Lord has really risen. And that has to change some things in our lives, right? If we're really following Jesus and he really conquered the grave, that has to change things. 
I mean, we can't live hopeless like he is dead when he has risen, can we? What kind of faith would that be? And like these two disciples, despite what we've experienced, I think many of us, we need to have our eyes opened again. We need to understand that, yes, by faith, we believe that the tomb is empty. And that needs to change some things in our life. We've got to stop being hopeless about things. We've got to have our hearts filled again. We've got to open our life up like a book and allow his light to come back in again. And when I say that, I'm not being disrespectful of what you've gone through. When I say that we've got to be filled with hope again, hear me out, I'm not being dismissive of the things you've done or what has happened to you. When I say that we have to have hope again, it's not being disrespectful of what we've experienced. It's being respectful of what Jesus has done. It's respectful of the power he has. If Jesus conquered death, if Jesus reversed the irreversible, if he changed the unchangeable, then it has to bring hope to what you're dealing with right now. It has to change uh, how you handle the things you've experienced. If, if he walked out of the tomb, then, then it's got to heal some scars. And as I say that, some of you are thinking about the things you've gone through. And, and I understand some things that you've gone through are written. It can't change. And, and I hate that for you. That there's some things that when we talk about hope, you think, but what has happened is hopeless. But I want to encourage you, if, if Jesus can bring the dead to life, then despite some of the chapters that have been written, despite some of the losses you've experienced, if he conquered death, if he can bring the dead to life, then there's hope for you in the moments from this point on moving forward. There is a purpose for the life that you have left in you. And for some of you, what you're dealing with can change. Your perspective can change. Forgiveness can change things. Putting the energy into it can change things. For some of us, things don't have to be the way they've always been. But you have to let that power that raised Christ from the, the, the depths of darkness into your life as well. You got to let him into those marriages, into those situations, into your defeat, into your addiction. You, you have to give him a chance if you want his power to change something. We got to whisper to ourselves, the Lord has risen. He really has. Which means there's always hope no matter what you've gone through. My, my parting words will be this. When we put our faith in Jesus, we can never say never. Being the sons and daughters of a king have, have its privileges. And we are the sons and daughters of a king. We sit at his table which means we get to experience certain things that other people who have not put their faith in him can't experience. And one of those is we can never say never. So no matter what we're up against, no matter how dark the past has been, you have a dad who is fighting for you. And he has done everything for us 
to win those battles with him by our side. Let's never, as a church family, lose hope of the blessing that we have, that the grave is empty, which means no matter what we're up against, we can never say never. Let's pray. God, we may not fully understand um, how the tomb is empty and that power and what it can mean to our lives, but, but, but help us in any way possible to, for us to understand that if, if, your, if your power can, can raise our Savior from the dead and you tell us that power is available to us, it can bring us through anything we're up against. Down here, we, we fully accept we cannot fathom that type of power. It's, it's so hard to wrap our hands around. But nonetheless, you, you tell us that it, by faith, it can work through our lives in a mighty way. God, help us to live by faith in the midst of knowing that we're going to experience darkness. But because of your love and your power, darkness will not have the last say in our lives. Your power will, will, will guide us. Your light will, will shine out and, and move every mountain that stands in our way until the day we are fully with you. And then we will understand. And then we will wonder why we ever doubted. Thank you for the hope we cling to, not just for the afterlife, but in the midst of everything we're up against now. The tomb is empty and your children, we can never say never. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.